You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have Katie Ferraro, who will be speaking to us about baby-led weaning. And I know I am very excited to learn more about this concept and, um, and just have this wonderful conversation. So thank you, Katie, for making the time to be with us today. Well, thank you, Jeanne-Marie, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes. So um, first, I always like to start with having my guest define what the art of parenting means to them. I love this question. And I know you ask all of your guests, <laughs> I was I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? I think the art of parenting is figuring things out together. If you've never done something before, you can't be expected to know how to do it. Your child's never been a child. Maybe you've never been a parent. It's going through the different ages and stages and phases together and figuring things out together. Yes, beautiful. And and in that definition, I, I kind of heard trust also, like trusting the process, trusting yourself and your child. So uh, wonderful. Now, uh, before we get started, I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about, about your background and why you came to do the work that you're doing today. Well, I am a registered dietitian and I specialize in baby-led weaning, which is an alternative to conventional adult-led spoon feeding, whereby we let babies feed themselves the age-appropriate wholesome foods provided by their parents or their caregivers. I'm also a mom of seven small children. We have a singleton, a set of quadruplets, and a set of twins. So we had seven kids in under three years. And I know you have experience and background in Montessori preschools. And I sometimes, you, people literally used to walk by my house and say, are you running a daycare or a preschool <laughs> here? And it feels like that some days, but I am uh, was used to work in adult nutrition and I did adult weight loss and cardiovascular nutrition. I'm a certified diabetes educator. But when we had our first child, I really struggled with spoon feeding and she, my daughter Molly did not like being fed and our mealtimes turned into a downright battleground. And I remember feeling like such a failure as a parent because like what kind of mom can't get her baby to eat real food? And then what kind of dietitian mom at that? So at the height of our feeding frustration, my husband and I found out that we were pregnant with quadruplets. And and I was not expecting four babies at once, but I really remember the first time I saw them on the ultrasound there just thinking like, 
How am I going to feed four babies at once when I can't even feed the one baby that I have at home? So thankfully, I am also a college nutrition professor, and I had some friends and colleagues who work in feeding who told me about baby-led weaning. And the first time I heard it, I was like, baby-led weaning? What are you talking about? And he said, no, 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 baby-led weaning, where your baby learns to feed themselves. You don't have to force feed by spoon. You don't have the mealtime battles. You have less of the picky eating. You don't have to short order cook. And I was like, this sounds amazing. So I did tons of research, threw ourselves into it, whole hog with the quads, started solid foods. And honestly, the foray into solid foods with the quadruplets was such a remarkably more positive experience for our entire family that I actually shifted the whole focus of my nutrition career to specialize and focus exclusively on baby led weaning. So I've been doing that for almost seven years now. I run the largest digital community dedicated solely to baby led weaning. I host the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, and we have courses and programs and workshops for parents and caregivers and other healthcare professionals on how to do the baby led weaning approach safely because there's a real incredible body of research that supports this as a safe and effective alternative to conventional or adult-led spoon feeding. Yes, and and I really like the, the way you say, you know, uh, that it's baby led and not adult led. And, and I know we've had this conversation about just the difference between like Montessori of how it's child-led as opposed to adult-led. So to me, it, it you know, goes very well with uh, kind of the principles that that I work with. But I would love if you could take a moment to maybe explain to somebody who, you know, has heard this term for the very first time today, what what is the concept behind uh, baby led weaning and, and where where did it come from? How did it evolve? So as a practice, the idea of having your child eat modified versions of the same foods that the rest of the family eat, that's nothing new. I always tell parents, like, what do you think cave mama fed to cave baby before the like, <laughs> whole aisle of pouches at Target, right? Like the, the concept is nothing new, but as a term and a philosophy, the term baby led weaning was coined by Jill Rapley. So Jill Rapley is the co-author of the original baby led weaning book first published in 2008. And Jill Rapley was a health visitor from the United Kingdom. And she would travel around to different families and she was studying and observing the transition to solid foods. And through all of her observations and her work, she realized that it wasn't the food that was the problem that babies disliked, but rather it was the feeding that was being done to them. So she really started to explore this idea of if we wait until six months of age, right? And we know the benefits of exclusive breastfeeding up until six months of age. And as a dietitian, I always remind parents, breast milk and or commercial infant formula, so collectively we'll refer to that as infant milk, infant milk is sufficient to meet your baby's needs for the first six months of life. And Jill Rapley really, really honed in on this idea that if we wait until the baby is six months of age and showing the other reliable signs of readiness to eat, that babies can and want to and should be allowed to feed themselves. So you can think of baby led weaning as a responsive feeding method. We talk a lot about responsive bottle feeding and listening to your baby's cues during breastfeeding and your baby turns their head away from the breast when they're full or they cry when they're hungry. And we need to continue to look for and listen to and respond to these hunger and fullness cues even as we move into the second half of infancy, which is when your baby starts solid foods. So the philosophy or the practice of baby led weaning is relatively new. And as a science, it's really evolving. Because as I mentioned, we have this real incredible body of research that shows us baby led weaning 
does not increase the risk of choking. Babies who start with this approach do not have nutrient gaps. It does not lead to growth faltering. So it's really catching on as a movement, both in practice and in science. And we owe you know, kind of all of this to the founder of the baby led weaning approach, which is Jill Rapley. And I know you're always talking about Maria Montessori and implementing her approaches. So there are a lot of parallels there, but also that it's child led, that our babies can eat so many more foods than we give them credit for. And so in 2016, I created the 100 First Foods approach to baby led weaning. And that's where we help families get their babies to eat 100 safe baby led weaning foods before they turn one. And if we look at conventional spoon feeding, most of those babies might have tried only 10 or 15 foods before they turn one. And we know that most toddlers will develop some degree of picky eating or food neophobia after they turn one. And so if you lose those 10 or 15 foods that your baby has, that becomes a very challenging child to feed. But if your child has 100 different foods that they can eat and you lose 10 or 15 to picky eating, it's really not such a big deal. There's still 85 or 90 foods that your child can eat. So it's really a wonderful way to cut back on the severity of picky eating and to allow children to participate in mealtime with foods that they've learned to like and accept during that all-important flavor window of late infancy. Right. And, and to me, when you say, you know, that flavor window, I always, you know, talk to parents about educating our children's palate that, that we're, you know, if we just give them what we think, you know, children should have, which is this very bland, (laughs) uninteresting food, is they're not going to develop all of those, you know, wonderful. I mean, there's such an array of tastes that, uh, so important. And it's interesting when you were, you know, talking about the, this notion of the child feeding themselves. I had a flashback of when my first child, uh, was starting solids and I was, I was feeding her. I would, I would kind of puree whatever we were having. So the tastes were all there, but, you know, I didn't know about baby led winning. And this was before, uh, Jill's book anyway, but, uh, and I would feed her. And I remember one evening, she was very determined to take the spoon from me and wanting to do it herself. So I let her, I got another spoon and so forth. But I think it was like two nights uh, later, my husband was home alone with her and she was doing the same thing and he just could not understand. And he thought, you know, oh my goodness, she's, you know, having a tantrum, whatever, What what is this child doing? And I just had to remind him, no, she's showing signs that she's ready to do this on her own. And um, so I love, I love how you describe that. And it's very, it's actually, when you were describing it, it's very in line with uh, Montessori and how we go about like using the weaning table and helping them kind of feed themselves. Uh, It's really, we each have a utensil and we kind of take turns, but we're mostly giving them the, the utensil. So what, and this might be, you know, uh, an idea that I have of baby led weaning, it seems like it's very much using their hands to eat as opposed to utensils. Is that correct? Well, that's interesting because one of the biggest myths about baby led weaning is that it entails skipping purees or no spoon feeding. And that certainly is not one of the premises of baby led weaning. And I've actually interviewed Jill Rapley in numerous times and talk about a lot of different, there's a lot of myths, you know, as there is in Montessori. And so with baby led weaning, you can honor the self-feeding principles of 
baby led weaning and still offer naturally pureed foods like full fat whole milk yogurt. That's a wonderful way to introduce your baby to cow's milk protein. And we know that early introduction of allergenic foods like cow's milk protein helps to reduce the risk of cow's milk protein allergy down the road. But what about things like oatmeal or unsweetened applesauce? Yes, we can do those, but we use an approach called the preloaded spoon approach. And this is a technique created and developed by Dawn Winkleman. She's a speech language pathologist and a baby led weaning expert. And she developed the first ever baby led weaning spoon. It's called the tiny spoon. It's from a company, Easy Peasy. And we teach parents how to preload the spoon, put it in the baby's hand. At the very beginning, you have to gently maybe guide the hand to mouth, but very quickly. You know, your baby's smart. They've been watching you eat for at least six months now. They know what to do with it. And then we preload the spoon and put it on the side of the bowl where the baby grasps it with their whole hand or their palmer grasp, picks it up and brings it to their mouth. And as they get a little bit older, around nine, 10 months of age, they then start dipping and scooping with their spoon. So we start the spoon at around six months of age. And then we start with a fork around 12 months of age. There's no feeding milestones for forks prior to 12 months of age. So we really prioritize the spoon first and then the fork. But we also know the importance of finger foods. And research shows us that babies who have had the least experience with finger foods are actually at elevated risk for choking. And so it is developmentally appropriate for six-month-old babies to begin eating finger foods. And that's where the crux of our information comes in. I'm always showing parents how to make whole grains safe for babies to eat, meats if the family eats animal foods, all the different fruits and vegetables and allergenic foods, because we want your baby exploring with those finger foods. And purees are a wonderful texture, and babies need to learn how to master purees. It's just not the only texture that babies can or should be eating. Okay. And another myth I think that comes up for me is that baby led weaning can be very messy. And I know that there are some parents, um, at least that I've worked with, that that really discourages them and they don't want, they're, they're, they, you know, they have a phobia about it getting so messy and, and food, you know, all over the, the, the baby and the floor and the table and whatever. Can you speak a little bit to that? Like, how can we help parents who are maybe resisting this notion of baby led weaning because of the possible mess that it might make? Well, it is a truth that it's <laughs> the mess. But it is a fallacy that it's not messy. It's messy, right? We always tell parents learning how to eat is a full sensory experience. I'm a dietitian, and especially in my profession, we get accused quite often of being too concerned about how much the baby is eating. And that's not the point early on in weaning. The majority of your baby's nutrition is still coming from infant milk, be that breast milk or formula, at the beginning of the weaning period, right? Your baby needs lots of time to learn how to eat. And part of learning how to eat is touching that food, is smashing that food, is sniffing that food, sometimes putting it in their ear, putting it in their hair. They eventually get it to their mouth and then they move it around their mouth and then they They do this little munch chew and then it turns into a rotary chew. And next thing you know, they're swallowing the food, digesting it. And then weaning really starts to take off. I generally say the golden age of baby led weaning kind of clicks for most babies after they've been doing this for about eight weeks. So we wait until the baby is six months of age to start solid foods. Plus, when they're showing the other reliable signs of readiness to eat, you, you practice for about eight weeks. It looks like nothing's happening. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm making all this food and they're just making a mess with it. But every single opportunity your baby 
has with food at mealtimes, they are making micro steps in the direction of learning how to feed themselves. And that the whole point here is that by the time your baby turns one, babies can be eating modified versions of the same foods that the rest of the family eats, and they're getting most of their nutrition from food by that point. So it's a really important six-month transition, but you have lots of opportunities to practice. And yes, while it is messy, if you can remind yourself that learning how to eat is a full sensory experience. It's funny because the same parents who complain about the baby led weaning mess go and buy like sensory play toys. Like, <laughs> if you give your child food, yeah. that's the sensory experience. And the, the point of baby led weaning, our goal here is not to eliminate the mess. That is impossible and that is not desirable. But we can work to minimize the mess. And so my tips for parents there are, I like to use a splash mat that I put underneath the chair where the baby is eating. It's a clean piece of material. If the food drops on the floor, you can pick it up from the clean splash mat, recycle it back onto the baby's mat or their bowl, in that way helping to reduce the food mess, but also utilizing a baby-led weaning bib. We don't like long sleeve bibs that restrict the baby's range of motion. There's these big like tent-like contraptions that babies can't even cross their midline and, and they're really restrictive. Instead, I like to use a sleeveless bib. There's a company called Bapron Baby that makes beautiful baby led weaning bibs and they tie underneath the baby's shoulder blades in the back so it's not all up in their neck like um, some of the other bibs you can see, which can really be a negative sensory experience for your baby. So if we, if we have a bib and we have a mat underneath where the baby eats. And if we utilize a silicone suction mat or bowl, that really helps to anchor and stabilize the baby. They can use their whole hand grasp, their, their palmer grasp, right? Because they don't have their pincer grasp early on in weaning at six, seven, or even eight months of age. They rake and scoop the longer pieces of food up and out of the bowl. They have a little inch or so sticking out from their cute, chubby little baby fists, and they can feed that food to themselves. The baby is the one driving the weaning experience. And even though it's messy, it is developmentally appropriate. And parents just love to see the progression that babies are making, and they're having fun feeding themselves. And so I would argue that the fun and the joy that you see in your baby's independence and learning how to handle and eat food is totally worth the trade-off of the mess that it makes. But, and I always say, as soon as the meal's over, I always scoop the baby up, take them over to the sink, warm running water, remove the food from their hands. You know, I put some in my hand, cup my hand, wash it across their mouth, clean them with a pat dry with a like a clean towel, put them somewhere safe, and they can get right to cleaning up that baby led weaning mess. Because wet baby led weaning food mess is one thing, but once it dries, it is a real bear, especially things like yogurt or oatmeal. So you want to get to it quickly. But really, we encourage parents not to wipe their baby during mealtimes. That is a negative sensory experience. You know, how would you feel if you were trying to learn how to eat oatmeal and this lady kept attacking you with her wet wipe or her washcloth? And then all of a sudden, the baby's starting to have negative associations with food and feeding and feeding aversions because you're literally attacking them during the mealtime. So as, as hard as it can be, we encourage parents to sit back, enjoy the experience, and once you put the food out, you don't need to do anything else except observe for safety with your baby. You don't need to be wiping them. You don't need to be cleaning up. But you can do it as soon as the meal is over, if that makes you feel better. Right. And I would even, you know, argue to say, like, maybe show them how to to wipe themselves off also at the end of the meal, right? So that becomes kind of that self 
self-care that they will eventually uh, grasp as well. That's an interesting point. You were, you yeah. were teaching me, you were on my podcast recently, we were talking about the Montessori weaning table and this idea of the self-care space. And one thing we also work with babies, kind of maybe the overlap between feeding and self-care is we start practicing how to drink out of an open cup at around six months of age. A recommendation is to practice with the open cup for about five minutes after each meal. And you can start that as soon as your baby is six months of age. They, they do a little bit better when they're a little bit older, but you know, practice makes progress. And they're learning actually how with the liquid, we start with breast milk or formula in the tiny open cup. They're learning how to actually swish and remove the food from their mouth. Because sometimes parents will, wait, wait a minute, there's still food in there. Okay, well, we don't want to put our fingers in the baby's mouth. That could potentially push the food into the airway and cause a choking incident. We want the baby to learn how to do that. And we can do that by practicing with the open cup. So it's a combination of both a feeding skill as well as a self-care skill. Oh, I like that because we we actually in Montessori we actually uh, advise to only use an open cup and and we actually use like a very small glass, like a little shot glass to that that can be held in their hand, and that's basically the only way they drink, other than maybe at the breast and then. Um, you know, maybe a, a bottle, but if you're, you know, exclusively breastfeeding, then you go from breastfeeding to actually a cup and, and we avoid the, the sippy cups and all of that that is giving them false information. So that's, that's and from great. a nutrition standpoint, you know, in, in baby led weaning, we advise against the use of sippy cups as well. They promote overconsumption of milk. They're damaging to a child's teeth. They can promote dental caries depending upon what is put in the sippy cup. Um, they don't represent any visual break between mealtime. You know, kids constantly lathering their teeth with milk sugar. That's not ideal. Um, plus also they can delay speech development. We know that if they're always having a bottle or a sippy cup, in their mouth because that hard plastic, there's no feeding milestone that says babies need to suck out of hard plastic. And if sippy cups were developed by parents for parents with the sole reason for their existence to prevent spills. And we know how important it is for babies to practice that open cup drinking. My speech language pathology colleagues always talk about this notion of lip closure. And that's an important skill that we learn with open cup drinking that precedes the speech milestones and the development of the different sounds that they're going to be developing next if they're allowed to practice and with those mouth movements. They're always sucking on a bottle. And I tell parents, I know your baby knows how to drink out of a bottle or the breast. That's great. We're in the period where we're learning how to eat. And ideally, we want the baby to learn how to drink out of an open cup independently by the time they turn one, albeit with a little spillage. And that spillage is important. When they feel that infant milk dribble down the side of their mouth, it feels uncomfortable. And we can't rush in and fix it and wipe it up. When the baby feels that little bit of uncomfortable dribbling, they'll make a micro correction the next time they go to drink out of that open cup so that they don't feel that. They're learning on their own. We don't have to do it for them. Yes, that is very much in line with with everything. And you've given me more ammunition to to, you know, to stop the whole sippy cup. So so love that. Um, one thing that you mentioned as you were talking about, you know, waiting until six months, you mentioned other readiness cues. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. So from a nutrition standpoint, infants don't need anything except breast milk or formula from a nutritional standpoint prior to six months of age. So a lot of times parents will hear from their doctor or other 
people in their family or mother-in-law, grandmother, whatever it may be. Oh, four to six months is when we start solid foods. But we've really moved away from that recommendation of four to six months because developmentally what changes, you know, between four and six months is remarkable, right? A two-month period of life to a four-month-old, that's 50% of their lifespan. They're not the same person at six months of age. And the most important reliable sign of readiness to eat is the baby's ability to sit relatively unassisted. They're not sitting perfectly, but they're sitting up for long enough that they're demonstrating that they have the core strength to facilitate a safe swallow. If you or I were only knew how to slouch or slump over and we couldn't sit up straight, there's absolutely no way we could learn how to eat without choking on something that's not infant milk. So from a swallowing safety standpoint, we wait until the baby is six months of age or six months adjusted age if the baby was born prematurely and being able to sit relatively on their own. That's the most important sign of readiness to feed. And you'll also notice around this time your baby is reaching for and grabbing for your food just like your baby was, Jean-Marie. You know, they just go for the food. That's not an independent sign of readiness to eat because a three-month-old baby might accidentally grab for your food. You don't say, all right, well, we're ready to start solid foods. Absolutely not. So that that sitting on your own, that's really the most important thing. And I like to remind parents and caregivers that not all babies can sit on their own right at their six-month birthday. Most of the babies that we work with, it's six months plus one week or six months plus two weeks, sometimes even six months plus three weeks before they're really sitting on their own with enough core strength to facilitate that safe swallow. And it's always safer and certainly more fun to feed a baby who's truly ready to eat. Okay. And so those are are the same that I I had, this whole idea of being able to sit on their own. And it kind of is in alignment with the whole weaning table notion that if your baby was falling out of the weaning chair, it's not safe for them to sit there. That's an indicator that they're not ready for anything except infant milk. And there's there's absolutely no benefit in starting early. In fact, there's only potential for harm, increased risk for food allergies, increased risk for choking, and we even think perhaps increased risk for unintentional weight gain later in life. So lots of pros for waiting until the baby is truly ready. And what I I also what I like and what I've heard also is that we're not stopping this whole, you know, infant milk, whether it's breastfeeding or, or bottle feeding at six months, because I know when I've, you know, maybe posted on Facebook or something about like, you know, introducing solids around six months, I get a lot of um, backlash from the breastfeeding community of, you know, your, that I'm, I'm giving false information. And for me, I think it's important that we're, we're just introducing solids. We're not, you know, we're not saying to stop the other type of feeding. So Yes, and I I agree with you, and and I'm very much admire the work of breastfeeding professionals. But I think it is very important as a credentialed feeding expert and dietitian myself to reiterate this idea that infant milk is sufficient to meet the baby's needs exclusively for the first six months of life. But beginning at around six months of life, we need to start introducing complementary foods. Complementary means in addition to infant milk. So yes, we continue infant milk. But weaning in action is the slow progression towards baby getting most of their nutrition from food and less and less nutrition from infant milk so that by the time they reach one year of age, baby can be getting most of their nutrition from food. If mom and baby want to continue breastfeeding, more power to you. Continue that. But acknowledge it's not primarily for nutrition anymore. It's for bonding. It's maybe to help 
you know, at the end of a long day to soothe your child, but most of their nutrition will be coming from food. And I know sometimes that's hard for parents to hear. They get sad that their baby is no longer a baby when they hit that 12 month mark. And now they don't need all of their nutrition from mom. You're still very, very important. And breastfeeding is incredibly important. And if you want to continue beyond that one year mark, go for it. But, but babies don't wake up on their first birthday and magically know how to eat a hundred different foods. We use the weaning period to help them learn how to get nutrition from food. Right, right. There's one more point about feeding that I would love your kind of take on. And this whole notion of, um, actually, I had another expert and they use the, uh, what is it, the empty plate club. (laughs) But this idea that for me, we need to learn to trust our children to know when they are full or when they are hungry and not kind of impose, um, you know, a certain amount of food and that you have to finish what's in front of you. What What is your philosophy about kind of that whole notion around mealtime? Well, certainly not a fan of the clean plate club. It is not our job to make our child eat or to make them eat a certain amount. And so if we look at Ellen Satter's division of responsibility in feeding theory, I believe Ellen Satter is a registered dietitian and also a licensed therapist and her division of responsibility in feeding theory, I think should be the guiding principle for any family food relationship. And what this DOR says is that we as parents or caregivers have three jobs. We are responsible for what the child eats, and when they eat, and where they eat. But ultimately, it is up to the child, including the baby, to determine whether they eat or how much they eat. So again, our jobs, what the baby eats, you have to make the foods safe. And that's what we teach a lot of, especially with regards to reducing choking risk when babies are just learning how to eat. So what they eat, where they eat. Seated safely with baby's feet resting flat on a solid surface, that feet resting flat is imperative for stabilizing the baby's core to facilitate that safe swallow. And then we're in charge of when the baby eats. We eat at specific mealtimes. We do not let children graze free will throughout the day. And we like to follow whatever the family's food culture is, if that's eating three meals a day or two meals a day. But you as the parent, you're in charge of that. But then your job stops there. Your baby is ultimately responsible for how much or even whether they eat. And so this idea of pushing your baby to eat all of the food on their plate, which by the way is an arbitrary amount of food that you as the adult have chosen that is in no way aligned with your child's inborn responsive nature of knowing how much they need, right? And that's where a lot of this overlap with Montessori comes. The child inherently knows when they are full and where when they are hungry. But if we encourage them to eat past that point of fullness such that they would consume an arbitrary amount of food that might be in a jar or a pouch or on a plate. We make them finish that. All we do is teach the child to override that inborn feeling of satiety or fullness. And the next thing you know, you've got all of the same problems that adults have, right? How much time and money and effort goes into you know, intuitive eating and trying to retrain our bodies to be the way we were when we were babies, when we listened to our feelings of hunger and we ate until we felt full and then we stopped Babies inherently know how to do that, but we have to give them the space to learn how to nurture those hunger and fullness cues. Yes, so true. Love that. Thank you for that. Um, As we wrap up, are there any points or questions that I might have missed in this whole baby-led weaning that you'd like to share? Or do you think we've covered it all? 
I just love that you really honed in from the beginning on this idea of trust. And I think as parents, we're sometimes so worried, my baby's not going to get enough iron. They're not getting enough nutrition. They didn't eat enough of the grams of the peanut protein to reduce the risk of peanut allergy. And we need to take the numbers out of it. You know, how much your baby eats early on in weaning does not matter. So parents will ask me, Katie, can I, can you give me a portion guide for six month olds? And I say, heck no, there's no such thing as a set of standardized guidelines that are evidence-based for how much your baby should eat. Some days your baby will eat some, other days they'll eat more, the next day they'll eat less, and every day is a learning experience and we need to trust that our babies will learn how to feed themselves, but it is our job to do our jobs, right? To be in charge of what they eat, where they eat, and when they eat. Hmm, beautiful. Thank you. So um, as we wrap up, I always like to ask a more personal questions to my guest, if I may. Sure, of course. So you mentioned that you had a first child. So how old is she? How old is Molly? My oldest Molly is eight years old now. Eight. So if you were to go back to nine years when you were expecting your first child, any wise words that you would tell yourself knowing all that you know today? You know, that is a great question. And I have a wonderful relationship with our children's pediatrician. He actually passed away last year very, very quickly from pancreatic cancer. And we always had back and forth about nutrition. And he's the one who told me at four months of age, starter on rice cereal. And I know I really very much value the work that pediatricians do in their area of expertise. But the truth is, is that more than 90% of physicians in this country have never had a dedicated nutrition class. And saying something to a parent like start force feeding rice cereal at four months of age is incredibly damaging, both to the baby because they're not ready yet physiologically or safe to swallow that. Um, also, we don't feed rice foods to babies regularly anymore because of the risk for arsenic toxicity. So it's a dangerous recommendation. It also is something that the baby's not ready for and they don't want to be force fed. And so as much as I admire my pediatrician, I wish I didn't listen to that recommendation to start spoon feeding rice cereal at four months of age. And to this day, parents get those recommendations. They hear them from family members or from their doctors. So we really need to move away from this idea of making parents force feed their babies. There's absolutely no upside. And I'm so grateful that we discovered baby led weaning with our quadruplets, sheerly out of necessity. And a, a cool thing about baby led weaning is it is one of the few things that appeals to second time parents. Because you know, the first time parent, they buy everything. And then the second baby comes around and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't need anything on that baby registry. <laughs> but I'm dealing with a toddler now and that toddler's a picky eater and I don't want to have picky eating rule my life and I don't want to be a short order cook for multiple people in my family. And they'll kind of stumble upon baby led weaning because of this emerging body of research that supports the idea that a baby led approach can reduce the severity of picky eating. And there's absolutely no surefire way to prevent picky eating and no one's saying baby led weaning does that. But again, if we can get our babies to eat 100 different foods and learn how to do that safely, not only is it making us as the parents really expand our repertoire so we don't get stuck in those you know, first foods ruts, just feeding avocado, banana, and sweet potato, or you don't know what carbohydrate your baby needs, so you only make them rice, pasta, and potatoes. Like There are so many more whole grains and so many wonderful sources of protein and great tasting fruits and vegetables that babies will learn how to eat during that flavor window. So if your audience would like to grab a copy of my free 100 First Foods list. I teach a one-hour video training workshop every week called Baby Led Weaning for Beginners. I give everybody on that free workshop a copy of the 100 First Foods list so that you'll never run out of ideas of foods your baby can safely eat. And you can grab a copy of that if you head to babyledweaning.co. 
Perfect. And I will have all those links uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, well, this has been uh, delightful. Any uh, parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with? I know you've shared a wide range and, and wonderful wisdom. I know I've learned a lot. I don't have young children around, but maybe one day grandchildren. So I, I'm I'm equipped now. So thank you. You're welcome. And just keep in mind that babies can eat so many more foods than we give them credit for. And also they don't have to eat bland foods. You had mentioned something earlier that sometimes we think that, but you know, babies have been exposed to flavor compounds, right? When you were pregnant, the tastes of the foods that you ate, those flavor compounds traveled through the amniotic fluid. And when you're breastfeeding, the flavor compounds from the foods you're eating transfer to the baby. Your baby has been exposed to flavor compounds before. We just avoid excessively salty foods. We don't put any added sugar in the baby's foods. And then we don't add any really spicy foods that could be injurious to the baby's health. But, you know, babies in Ethiopia learn to eat Ethiopian foods. Babies in Nepal eat Nepalese foods. You can season all your foods liberally and have fun with the foods that you're offering your baby. And that's what I love about the baby-led approach is it kind of takes a lot of the pressure and the pain out of starting solid foods by making it a fun experience that the whole family can enjoy and that benefits the whole family as well. Yes, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for making the time to share all of this with us today. It was my pleasure. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child, or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child. You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone. And you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, Declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony. And find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally. 
plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.